I thought marketing is something that I'm really good at. I can see an idea, how I think it would help, you know, a certain brand by just getting more awareness or just creating a sense of a certain feeling and emotion into the person that was like watching the ad or reading about the brand. And, and so I always love that aspect of what advertising can do. It has the power to like just create that different emotion. Today, I spoke with Eric Melchor, a really selfless guy who sees the world in a passionate and magical light. We talked about his nonprofit, Fly Movement, his work with kids, which was really beautiful to hear, his many tips for personalizing websites, and some serious nugs on networking. This was really, really expansive, and I hope that you enjoy this episode. Well, thanks for coming, Eric. I'm really looking forward to this. So my first question is, um, you know, what was your life like as a child? Did you have any negative experiences or beautiful memories that you have? Yeah, it was kind of weird. It was like Huckleberry Finn meets inner city kid because my parents were divorced. And on one weekend, I would be with my mom. We lived inside the city in this townhouse. And there was all these neighborhood kids that, you know, we were friends with. And we would go to the 7-Eleven and play like Street Fighter video games or go to the public park and play basketball. And then the following weekend, I would go to my dad's house. And it wasn't necessarily out in the country, but there was a few farms that were kind of like behind the house. Like you go down this walking trail and there was these different farms and things. And our friends there were very country, like their parents took them hunting. We would go to their house and there'd be like a duck in the front yard and we'd walk in and there'd be all these different hunting rifles inside. And there'd be like these race cars that were in the driveway that they were working on, like NASCAR type race cars. And, you know, we would shoot BB guns and pellet guns. And we used to catch crawfish in the bayou, hang the crawfish on a clothesline. And then practice shooting the crawfish with our BB gun. You know, I had these two different worlds as, as a kid growing up. And uh, looking back, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun to have that experience. <laughs> so that's New Jersey. How did you end up in Romania? Yeah, well, that was actually Houston. Oh, sorry. I, yeah, that was Houston. I ended up in Romania after I spent seven years in New York City. The goal was to go to New York City for about four or five years, do a master's degree program, break into the advertising industry, and then come back to Houston. New York City... When you're in your 20s and you're single, it is a lot of fun. Time flies. Before I knew it, I had been there like six years already and I wanted to do something different, but I didn't necessarily want to come back to Houston. And so there was an opportunity where I could go work for a big media agency, uh, the largest in Romania, in Bucharest for a year. And so I thought, why not? I had spent a lot of time traveling when I was younger because I had used to work for an airline. And so I was used to like visiting different places and getting to to know, you know, just just getting that feeling of being somewhere different. And I enjoyed it. And after living in New York City, I thought, hey, if you can live there, if I could live there, I can live anywhere. That was my mentality. At least that's how they sell New York City, right? If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Yeah, that's what they say. <laughs> so I went to Bucharest for a year and it was a fantastic experience. This was back in 2010. And I met my, uh, my wife and convinced her to move to Houston. And so uh, I came back to Houston and we were long distance for a while and I ended up convincing her to, to make that leap. And she did. And uh, fast forward, we've got, you know, two kids and we're now back in Bucharest, been here about two years. How did you find that at the beginning? Because I'm looking at doing the same thing and I'm scared of towing the line between like going and visiting and being like, oh, I did that for a year and that was fun or going and visiting. And then like you say, you really put your roots down and a decade passes quite quickly. Did you yeah. sort of think about that before you did it or? How did you go into it? So I think I was very lucky because when I was an undergrad, I had wanted to do a, a study abroad. 
And I petitioned uh, to do a study abroad and applied for all these different excursions, whatever you call them. And I couldn't get any sort of funding, anybody to help fund my trip. But the university, there was a specific university I wanted to go to in Mexico called University of Guanajuato. Very beautiful Spanish city, one of the first that they colonized, cobblestone streets. If you're ever in Spain and you visit like Cordoba or Granada, this is like one of those cities, but in Mexico. Very beautiful. And so the university granted me permission to go there for a semester, and they would basically transfer nine credits or nine hours back to my undergrad degree. And so I was able to do that, but I had to fund it myself. Luckily, Mexico was pretty cheap at that time. And so I think my total expenses for a month, including room and board and food and uh, the university tuition was maybe around $500. And so my dad helped me out a little bit and I had saved some money as well. And so from that experience was, okay, even if you can't get somebody to support you, or even if the road is not easy, just go ahead and try to figure out a way to do it. And so when I moved to New York City, it was very similar, where I was already approaching, I was already in my late 20s. And I had been applying to jobs online to try to get a job in New York City before I moved there. It didn't happen. And so I saved money for about a year. Uh, working two jobs, enough to that I had enough money to cover my expenses so that when I did move there, I, I wasn't stressed out about having to find a job, a job right away. I did it in New York. And then uh, I did it going back to Houston from Bucharest. And then now I did it again, leaving from Houston to Bucharest. Luckily, you know, I'm married now and my wife had her job. So it's not like <laughs> it's not like we were taking a huge risk with, with kids and trying to figure out how we're going to put food on the table. I mean, I'm much more we we plan much more in advance than when I yeah, was yeah. Uh, when I was younger. Yeah, it sounds pretty exciting. You know, looking at your career today, what what kind of experience uh, in in that journey or in another, you know, has made you who you are today, and like has helped you to do the things that you do today? Yeah, I think one of the things is that I was I was very lucky because at under, undergrad, I always wanted to work in marketing, specifically digital marketing. I thought it would be great to be in charge of campaigns, be in charge of budgets, be in charge of executing. Uh, integrated campaigns for you know for big brands and I looking back I did that I achieved that uh, I was a digital director CX director for Fortune 500 companies back in Houston managing teams managing big budgets and I think the things that really made me successful was were just having that drive and knowing what I wanted to do you know at a young age in the young age is not when I was a kid but when I was in college and I. I, I thought marketing is something that I'm really good at. I can see an idea, how I think it would help you know, a certain brand by just getting more awareness or just creating a sense of a certain feeling and emotion into the person that was like watching the ad or reading about the brand. And, and so I always love that aspect of what advertising can do. It has the power to like just create that different emotion. I can still watch PNG Olympic videos on YouTube and I'll still tear up. Because to me, they're just so heartwarming on how they uh, they invoke that 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 feeling of like love and hope in, in their in their commercials. Now, I was never really fortunate to direct commercials like that, but I had fun, you know, creating different campaigns that drove awareness or generated sales for the brands that I worked with. So, really, to answer your question, Connor, it was just like I knew what I wanted to do. I was happy doing what I was wanted to do, and I felt like I was really good at it. That was sort of my calling. Advertising is a billboard on the side of the road that screams that whatever you're doing, you are okay. 
<laughs> Do you know that quote from Mad Men? No, no, I haven't seen every oh, episode. Man. I haven't seen that every episode. I want to go back. That's one of the shows that I want to watch from beginning to end, though. Yeah, that that passion in your voice just reminded me of that scene. If you look up the Carousel, Mad Men, uh-huh. it's, it's the best scene in the whole show. It's 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 Dawn like explaining why why advertising is so beautiful, and it's just it just, it just reminded me of what you were saying. Uh, having stalked your LinkedIn, uh, I also know that you've done uh, a nonprofit and you also run your own podcast. So what does that look like? Yeah. So here's the thing, you know, you're doing what you like doing, right? But does it give you fulfillment? Does it really give you true fulfillment? And although I was really happy with my career and I was doing what I wanted to do, I felt like I could do more. And unfortunately, it's just the way that the world is. You're not really going to have that opportunity to use your entire creativity unless it's your project right? Mm -hmm. Unless it's your side hustle, unless it's your business. And so from a very young age, I've always pursued different uh, activities outside of work, whether it was participating in Toastmasters, teaching as an adjunct professor. But when I got the uh, the opportunity to create a kids fitness program, it really wasn't, I, I, I would have never in a million years thought I would be creating a nonprofit. But when I was in New York, Nike had created the Fitbit or the Nike Fitband. I can't remember exactly what they called it. Yeah, I think it is Fitbit. Yeah. The Fitbit. And I thought the first thing that came to my mind was that, oh, wow, there is a very valuable way here and an easy way to get kids to move more and help curb childhood obesity. And the idea was really simple. I thought everybody sees sees the idea that I'm thinking of. You give kids fitness bands and then create teams, have the teams compete against each other. That can Whichever team can generate the most moves wins. And they can win stuff like Football, soccer balls, frisbees, hula hoops—like you know, those are the kind of prizes that that they could win. And so, out of sheer frustration, because years had gone by, I didn't see this program. Nobody was creating this program. You know, I would do searches online. I thought surely somebody's created this program, but nobody had created it. And the the technology was evolving. There was other brands that were creating the Fit Bands, and I thought, how hard this could this be? I mean, it's a no brainer. It is a no-brainer. People enjoy wearing these, you know, these fitness bands. And so that's why I created Fly Movement. It was really just out of frustration because nobody else was doing it. I had the idea. I felt like I could execute on it. I pitched it to three principals in Houston. And all three said, yes, we want the program. Oh, oh cool. <laughs> and I was like, oh shit. Sorry. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if I could say that, but it's like, oh shit, I got to deliver now, right? And I don't have anything. I don't have any money to support this. I don't have the time. I don't have the the background, the connections. Luckily, I was able to recruit one of my former students who I had taught and uh, recruit a colleague who was teaching CrossFit classes. And she was, uh, you know, like triathlon. And and us three, uh, we put the program together and it was very simple. We provided each kid a fitness tracker. Uh, We focused on seven and eight-year-olds because of the research that we did. That was a crucial age where kids basically start to start to see themselves outside of what their parents see them as. They start to see the world and realize, oh, you know, self-identity. And so that's where uh, it's a big part of their life when it comes to not just reading, because that's the age where they're trying to read or starting to read uh, fluently, but also health-wise, because if they're obese at that age and They've already, Which age is this? This is like seven to eight, crucial right. age. And if they're already got bad habits of eating, 
then that's going to continue pretty much for the rest of the life. And so, you know, that was a crucial age. Plus it was just a fun age to work with because the kids were just at that age, were excited to see us excited to wear the oh, yeah, trackers. Yeah. And we would go in the classroom and lead them in some fun exercises and tell them just to wear the trackers. We would come back two weeks later and uh, that's when we would basically present the competition. And we would go into one classroom and say, all right, guys, you know, what is your name? The dinosaurs. Okay. Can the dinosaurs as a team generate more fitness moves than the class next door, right? Then, you know, then the astronauts or whatever the team was next door and the kids would get so excited. They would say, yeah, they would like jump up and down and high fiving, and we're going to beat them. Okay, guys, we got four weeks, whichever team generates the most moves, you know, they're going to win prizes at the end of this experience. And the great thing about the program was that uh, any gender could participate, you know, any, even if you were a non-athlete, you could participate. Even if you came from a family that didn't believe in athletics, right? It was made and designed for every kid, regardless of their socioeconomic background, regardless if they were athletic or not, regardless of their gender. I took the parents out of the equation purposely because in my own family, I had relatives who just didn't give a shit about their kids' health. And they were not the kind of parents that were going to be enrolling them in activities and fitness programs. And uh, so I said, you know what? Let's just take the parents out of the equation on this. And uh, we ran that program for about five years. And the thing is, it's not really scalable because you have to transfer the data um, that the fitness tractors collect individually. You know, you plug each one into a computer, let the data transmit. It takes about five minutes and then you have to plug the other one in. And so I had an intern that would go in every week and do this. And it was like a two hour process just for two classrooms. And so then you have to have the platform that can aggregate all the data. And there was only one company that we found that could do that. And so even though the fitness truckers themselves weren't that expensive, the platform to use it was pretty expensive. And so it ended up costing us around $35 per kid. And so when you add that up, you know, to run a program for one semester between two classrooms, you're, you're looking easily at $1,500. And that doesn't include any sort of salary or, or, you know, the cost of anything else. And so, um, you know, we were able to get into three schools, but the great thing was, was that I had the roadmap, I had the blueprint, and I willingly shared everything I learned, all the steps I did with anybody else who reached out to me. And I had schools from Boston, from Mexico, from Canada, from even Europe reaching out to me like, hey, how did you guys do this? And I'm like, here you go. Here it is step by step. You want to get on the phone with me? If you have any questions, we can do that. But that's why it wasn't scalable because it was just a very manual effort to to do that. That was the reason why. So I discovered, I was like frustrated. That's why I created it. And then when I started doing it, I'm like, oh, that's why nobody else has done this. So that was at the beginning. Have you found a way to, to tackle that problem? Well, I'm not sure if there's another platform, but I mean, the, the, the cost was a big issue because on average, it was $50 per kid to do this program. There's usually yeah. 25 kids per classroom. And then some kids lose fitness trackers. And so you have to have extra ones. Anyway, I mean, long story short, I enjoyed it while I was doing it. If the technology, you know, advanced to where you could just transfer the data instantaneously without having to plug it into a computer, then I would be happy to revisit. But at the end of that five-year mark, the reason why I stopped is because I had a child of my own and my responsibilities for the company I was working with were increasingly, you know, I was, I was getting stressed out trying to handle this full-time job. As, as a director for this Fortune 500 company, I got my first child. 
And uh, I'm trying to run this nonprofit on the side, doing all three things at once. And I just, I just never had a break. And it, it was like that for like over four years. You know, I got, I got burned out, to be honest, and something had to give. And the thing that was going to get, had to give was, was going to be the nonprofit. Yeah, fair enough. That's, that's admirable that you did all that. Yeah, and it was fulfilling. So, the, I mean, what I started was, is like, does your job give you fulfillment? In most cases, it doesn't. Not the kind of fulfillment that it touches your heart and it touches your soul. And when you look back on your life, it's like, what is the thing that I'm most proud of? And it's like, when I look at back at my life, it's fly movement. You know, there was kids that were in this program who, you know, I, I specifically served communities and schools that were underrepresented and that were down on the pole in terms of uh, socioeconomic status. And so there was a lot of kids in there who were migrants and their parents were either back in Ecuador or Salvador and they were living in a state run, you know, institution. They didn't have their parents there. And the principal, I mean, I'll never forget one principal came up to me and said, Eric, this little girl that we have here, seven-year-old little girl, you know, she's always depressed. She's always saying that, you know, she missed her mom. And we've been trying to like engage her, work with her. And then one day she came up to me and she was smiling and she was holding up her wrist. And she was like, look at my wrist. You know, I'm, I'm a part of this, this game where we're trying to beat the other kids. I had no idea I was impacting kids at that level. You know, it's it's a sense of pride when I look back and I think, yeah, that was probably the best thing that I've ever I've ever done uh, outside of trying to be a good parent, which I'm trying to do right now <laughs> for my own kids. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's incredible. I hope you get the chance to do something like that again in, in, in 10 years or, or, you know, whenever, because it's just it just sounds like you have so much passion for it. And and doing that, that so much building opportunities for kids like that, it's just great. Yeah. I mean, the last thing I'll say about it, the great idea was like, hey, how about a kid or kids in Romania take on kids in New Zealand? Yeah, let's, yeah, get yeah. Game, let's get a game up. You have the scoreboard. People can like go online and if they want to support the program, they can donate. And at the same time, they can just kind of, oh, they can just see this, you know, go in real time and look and see who's winning, right? You know, what are the kids doing there? And the teachers could upload videos of like the kids doing different yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. games and activities. And you could see like the different rewards that, you know, the kids received. I mean, that was the big grand vision uh, that I had for it. it just make it a global, you know, competition, you know, who moves more, um, you know, the kids, the Parisian kids versus, you know, kids in Argentina uh, to make it fun. And, and so uh, maybe there will be an opportunity in the near future uh, to, to, to revisit it again. Who knows? Yeah, well, I hope you do. And uh, I think that'll work pretty well. I mean, kids just love competition. They, they'll kill that. Yeah, they get so excited. You think that they, they don't? You think that, oh, they're too young? No, they do. No way. <laughs> they do. I mean, I tell my son who's five, let's play rock, paper, scissors, and he gets excited. You know, he's excited to play. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Like, I was going to ask you um, about personalization and like, you know, giving customers and clients like uh, a unique experience. And just from talking to you for 30 minutes, like it's, it's so clear why you're doing that because you, you, you're passionate and you just want to, you know, touch people's lives. Like it, it, not even like in a solicited way, like you're just kind of like implicitly encouraging <laughs> people and building communities. And it sounds just awesome. Yeah. No, this is a good segue into personalization, right? You know, and so Something that happened recently, my son, he loves to climb trees. He's five years old. We go to this park next to where we live. Beautiful tree. It's got all these different vines. He thinks he's Tarzan swinging across the vines. 
And so this uh, this past weekend, I had to get a part for our toilet where we live. And so I had to go to this Home Depot. I don't know if there's Home Depot in Zealand, but it's this big place and they sell all these parts for, for your home and things like that. And so I thought about it and I said, James, his name is James. Hey, James, you know that desk that daddy uses in his office? Well, it's made of wood and wood comes from trees, like the tree that you like to climb. But daddy's going to go to this place where there's all kinds of wood. It's got different colors, different sizes. They even, some of them even smell differently. Do you want to go? Yeah, I want to go. He gets all excited. Yeah, yeah daddy, let's go, right? All right, all right, let's go. We get in the car. You know, he's all, he's all, you I look back in the rearview mirror and he's got this smile. He's anticipating this place where there's all kinds of wood. You know, now that, yeah. now that I think about it in his you mind, his expectations high. Yeah, he's probably thinking, oh man, there's, there's going to be a lot of trees to climb, right? And maybe I should have like, yeah, lowered, yeah, yeah. <laughs> lowered expectations for And so we get there and we park and we go in and he's like in awe of how big this place is. Because I don't think he had ever been in a Home Depot before. And so I think I said, hey, let's go find out where all the wood is. And I'm like, look at that little forklift over there. He's like, oh, that's cool. You know, we, we find the wood. And uh, he's like, hey, can I touch it? And I'm like, yeah, go ahead, go touch it. And he's trying to lift it. And he's like, oh, it's too heavy. He's like, daddy, can you lift it? I'm like, no, it's too heavy, you know? <laughs> let's, yeah, but, let's, yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, let's, let's check out some other wood, you know? And then after like a few minutes, I said, hey, this place also has plants. Do you want to go smell some of the different plants? And he's like, yeah, let's go. And so we're like smelling the different plants. And then finally, after that, I'm like, all right, okay, daddy's got to get this part. We'll get this and we leave. I think we were there maybe 15, 20 minutes max. I turned a trip, a trip going to Home Depot, turned Home Depot into Disneyland for my mm. kid, right? Okay, maybe it's not Disneyland. I'm exaggerating here. But what I did was is that I made it a, an enjoyable and memorable experience by taking a little bit of time and effort to think, how can I make this? you know, enjoyable and fun for him. Right. And so how does this translate into personalization? Well, I think, you know, I think as us as parents, we always think that if we want our kids to have fun and have a good time, you know, we have to do something like maybe take them uh, to a place where they can do the bouncy thing and jump or take them to a place where they can ride go-karts or take them to get ice cream. And all those things are fantastic. Right. But if you use your creativity and kids have imagination. I mean, they'll play, you know, sometimes for hours by themselves, but using their imagination. But this trip to Home Depot turned it into Disneyland. Well, if you have a business and if you have a business, 99% of the time, you're going to have an online website, right? Or a website. Well, if you just take a little bit of that time and effort, right? And creativity, you can turn what would be a generic, you know, underwhelming experience on your website into a really enjoyable experience for your visitors. And so that's what I, I'm here to talk about, just kind of give you some tips on what, what can you do right now to, to, to create your website, make it into more, you know, personable for your visitors. And so, you know, I've got some examples that I want to share, but, but that's what I'm here to talk about, Connor, personalization. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's hear it. I'm, I'm already <laughs> like turning the cogs in my head about how to make my own website more okay. personal. It sounds, it sounds quite difficult to make it unique. Yeah. So the good thing is that the tools are now available for marketers to actually make this happen without, uh, without any sort of coding, you know, background, uh, without having to re rely on an engineer. Um, you know, the Optimum platform is very easy to use. I use it myself. Uh, if I can use it, trust, 
rest assured, I'm sure you can use it because I am not a coder. And I, in fact, I don't even know HTML. So that, that should tell you something right there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but I, I've created campaigns for different segments. And so I'm going to give you three tips. Let's just focus on three simple tips here on how to create personalization. So let's suppose that you have visitors coming to your website organically and you do not know anything about them, right? So how are you going to create personalization for a visitor that you know nothing about? Well, let's say you're in the health and wellness space and you sell three core products. Maybe one product helps you gain muscle. Maybe another product helps you lose weight. And another product helps you sleep better, right? And so through the platform, it could recognize an organic visitor without any sort of history. So the suggestion would be, instead of just letting them guess their way into finding it is what they want, why not present a little message, a little side message or pop-up that asks them, hi, welcome to whatever the name is of your brand. You know, can you please help us answer this? Are you interested in losing weight? or gaining muscle, or sleeping better, you know, answer this, and we'll give you a 10%, you know, discount coupon. Well, our clients who use this method of trying to segment organic visitors they know nothing about, they see about a 25% click-through rate when they're presenting their organic visitors questions like this. And so if a person says, okay, I'm here to, to, to get put on more muscle, they would see a thank you message with the coupon and says, hey, you know, thank you so much. Here's your 10% coupon. By the way, would you like to receive content related to how to gain more muscle and promotions you know, on our products where you could gain more muscle or something like that, right? If so, just enter your email address. Well, because you've already created this micro engagement by asking, you know, what are you here for? We're seeing about 30% of people willingly leave their email address, right, from that second pop-up or that second engagement, okay? And so now because you, you're, you're making this experience personalized in real time, you can actually start creating the rest of the website experience, uh, whatever it is that they're interested in. So if I was interested in trying to gain more muscle, now that I know that about you, now I can present a specific landing page or even another message that just simply says, oh, fantastic, by the way, here's our three, you know, but top products on how to gain more muscle. So now the person no longer has to do a search or try to navigate their way into finding it is what it is they're looking for. They're, they basically, hey, here is a website or a business that wants to find out what my problem is and present valuable information in a solution to help me get it is what I'm looking for. So that's an example of uh, number one. Uh, for organic visitors. Uh, before I go to the next example, I mean, what do you think about that? Connor? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's nice. I've spoken to the guys at Jebit uh, who run like quizzes uh, on landing pages. I was just thinking as you were speaking, uh, do you have like, I have two questions and then we can go. Do you have integrations to social media where you could do a poll or a poll on Twitter or Instagram that would, and that data would be carried through to the website? I believe so. And the reason why I say I believe so is because you can transfer campaign parameters, for example, on a Facebook campaign, you can transfer those parameters inside the platform. And so that way, when they get over to Optimunk, they can see the specific messaging that you had in those ads based on the campaign parameters. So mm -hmm. I'm 99% sure you can do that uh, with the new platform. There's uh, companies that are already using 
that we've been beta testing, beta testing this with that are, are having a great time uh, basically making the headline of a landing page the same value proposition of a specific Facebook ad. And so they're running like different Facebook ads, you know, promoting different value propositions and whichever one somebody clicked on, they go over to their website and uh, they could see that that specific value proposition as the headline. So we have one company called Blendjet and uh, they like to highlight that their blender is very easy to, it's easily portable. It's also powerful. And it's also, uh, you can easily charge it up uh, with the USB or UBS uh, cable, right? And so depending on whatever ad somebody clicked on, when they click on the ad and they go to their landing page through the platform, uh, that person's going to see a headline and copy related to the ad that they clicked on. So I'm about 99% sure that we can do that with quizzes as well. Okay, my second question, just I really am behind the premise and I, I, I'm, I'm sure that the 25% increase in click-through rate is that's, that's brilliant. But when, you know, my intuition with a pop-up that asks me questions, like I'm not giving it any time. Like I, yeah. a pop-up comes, I'm like white space, click X, like, you know, escape on the keyboard. Do, do the pop-ups come, you know, do, is there a timeline or is there any parameters that set them off or, or do they just come up? Oh. Um, Absolutely. I mean, you can set, we recommend the different triggers on when you should set this up. So whether it's a trigger based on a certain amount of time on the website or a minimum number of pages of visited or a percentage mm -hmm. of page that has been scrolled, you can set those uh, parameters. And we also have recommendations on when you should implement those. And uh, one of the things that we're excited about is that we're rolling out this AI feature that basically you can turn on if you feel you don't have the targeting set up properly. And what the AI feature is going to do is if it feels that the, uh, the visitor is getting annoyed or overwhelmed by too many pop-ups, then it's basically going to just take matters into its own hands and not show any pop-ups. So that's a cool feature that, that uh, we're, we're showing because a lot of people who use our platform, they have different campaigns, uh, multiple campaigns for a lot of different segments. And so they're not, you know, you can easily maybe get confused and not realize, okay, I'm not sure if this segment is going to overlap with this other segment and this pop-up is going to appear and then maybe another pop-up will appear. But pop-ups are only a small portion of what the platform does now. One of the other things that we we love, you know, for our clients to do is, is base different segments uh, based off location, for example. And so if you have a store and you want to you want people from Germany or Brazil or Australia to know that you ship to those locations then you can have just like a little side message appear when it registers that there is a visitor coming from that uh, from that country based on the IP and just a little side message that says hey uh, we ship to Germany you know something like that and like show an image of you know the German flag and that's that's just yeah, a yeah. nice way to like you know ensure trust and somebody. So it's not like a big pop-up appearing on the screen. It's a little side message that it's still visible and it's not, it's not, you know, intrusive, but it's a nice way of telling the person that, Hey, we're here to help you. And rest assured, we deliver where, where you're coming from. I'm not trying to probe too much, but does that kind of messaging, I'm not sure if you've done an AB test on this, but like when I kind of see a location, a geolocation uh, add on, on a website, I kind of, can be irritated by it by going, oh, they've somehow, you know, you know, they know. Yeah. And I'm not sure if that's common at all, but um, that was just what I was thinking. 
Yeah, no, one of the things that we make it easy to do is A-B experiment, A-B tests. And so we highly recommend, if anything that you're doing when it comes to personalization is always experiment and do an A-B test. And we make it very easy to just duplicate different campaigns, make it very easy to do A-B experimentation. I'm kind of like you, you know, when Google ads, I never really click on an ad. You know, I always go to the organic ads that appear. When I go to various websites, it's very rare that I'll actually click on a pop-up, but we've got, you know, we've got over 300 beautifully designed templates that really attract attention that, you know, are beautifully designed. And, and I think a lot of our clients that come to us really just like the different selection that they have, because not only you can, you know, custom mate your own, your own pop-up or whatever, but they're, they're done in such a way where aesthetically they look really nice. You know, they're, they're designed in such a way that you can just plug in your brand colors and it's going to look really nice with your website. And you don't have to just pick a pop-up. You can pick a variety of different like side messages to appear at the bottom or at the very top or on the very side, you know, so that they're not too intrusive. But as I was saying, you know, pop-ups is a small part of, of you know, the thing that the platform uh, does now. Um, but we're also inserting personalization through dynamic text. And so dynamic text where there are no pop-ups, but it's basically, it's just the text that's written, you know, on the website, person has no idea that they're, they're, you know, being segmented out, but we're now giving you the power to do that. And so that's another cool feature that we're rolling out. I'll let you get to your second point. Uh, I just have one more question. Uh, how do you integrate this into um, websites? Like, oh. is, is, it, is, it, is it on platform? No, we've got over 100 integrations. I mean, we integrate with everything from Active Campaign, you know, MailChimp, uh, Shopify, WooCommerce, Clavio. So there's over 100 direct integrations. And then, of course, uh, if you use something like Zapier, uh, we can integrate that way as well. But yeah, we integrate with WordPress and a lot of the major, you know, either email platforms or CRM platforms out there. So yeah, what was your, you, you said you had three, um, three points. Yeah. So I was thinking, okay, what if you're not using the optimum platform? How can you make your, your website more, more personalized here? So I'm just going to give you a few examples. One is go into Google Analytics. If you're using GA, look at your audiences that have the highest bounce rate, right? And try to segment them by channel, by source or by location. And so for example, let's say you're getting a very high bounce rate from people coming in from Instagram, for example. And so through that, and you know what, what page that they're landing on, then on that specific page, ask a question like, hey, welcome from Instagram. We would love to know, you know, what can we help you find? You know, why are you here? Yeah. Just ask that question. I mean, there's tools out there. We can have like a little window pop up and say, were you able to find what you're looking for, you know, or just have a little message. And if you can't do that, then just, you know, put that on, on the page itself. Like, Welcome from Instagram. Love to have you here. You know, can you help us find out what you're looking for? Just try to ask the person. That's the best way to figure out how can I make that experience better, right? Yeah. So that's just replicating the mortar, brick and mortar store kind of experience. Yeah. Yeah. Ask them directly. So that's one. That's an. That's one. Uh, that's one example. Another example is if you have coupons on your website and if they're generic, one way that you can increase the conversions on on those coupons is by adding the month. So let's say you have um, you have Connor VIP as as a coupon code, right? Instead of Connor VIP, do like October Connor VIP, and then every month you know you switch it out so you have December Connor VIP, 
And that usually will increase your conversions by about 10% for people that are trying to take advantage of that coupon code. Just that, mm-hmm. and this, yeah. this is not really personal personalization, but you know, for, for a specific segment, it's just a little, a little trick that you can do to just make it feel like it's more special than what it currently is. Last thing I'll say is instead of using like a, a generic pop-up that's trying to get people to submit their email, to subscribe to your email list, try, instead of doing that, try using an exit, ex, I'm sorry, exit intent trigger pop-up, meaning when a person is trying to close the window of the website or leave the website, you have a little pop-up appear and offer some sort of incentive. Um, that will actually usually, you know, more than double the conversions that you're getting from your generic pop-up. So that's, those are my three tips there. Um, you know, look into your GA, find out the segments that are performing the worst, try to make the uh, coupon codes. If you're using any a little bit more special by adding the month in front. And then the third one is test a exit intent trigger pop-up as opposed to just a standard pop-up and see if uh, that gets you better results. So yeah, so that's personalization. Obviously, you can really scale this with different platforms out there. Cool thing about OptiMonk is that we make it super easy to use for marketers who don't really have that kind of coding background, engineering background. Um, And then we're also rolling out uh, some personalization courses that give you ideas and show you real use cases um, on how you can implement personalization for different segments um, that are attracted to your website. I mean, it'd be pretty cool if we could recognize by industry, you know, for example, maybe attract people from the healthcare space. We recognize that, oh, this is a website, uh, or this is a person coming from the healthcare industry. Why not showcase different use cases that pertain to the healthcare industry on the landing page that he comes to, that this person visits, right? Why not showcase different logos of partners that we work with or brands that work with us that are actually in the healthcare space that this person may recognize. Those are just some of the different things that you know a person may want to use OptiMonk for. But obviously, e-commerce, really simple platform to use. Uh, e-commerce is what we're well known for, but other other industries out there could have a good time using uh, OptiMonk as well. That's nice that we've covered like the you know the website side of things. But you know, having stalked uh, you on other podcasts, I know that you you're quite a good guy for personalization with clients. So do you have any stories that you can share about like you, you, you yourself going above and beyond to, to personalize customers' experiences outside of the website realm? Yeah, no, it, you know, I try to think. So for example, I'll share a couple of things. You know, every person who connects with me on LinkedIn, I, I, I send them a message. And that message, I usually send a dad joke, right? Yeah. Because that's my personality. I mean, I try to keep things light, you know, funny, humorous. And, and so if you connected with me, Hey, Connor, pleasure getting to know you, you know, by the way, you know, then I'll, I'll put the, the joke or whatever. And then I'll end the joke by saying, okay, let me get back to teaching brands on how to, you know, make their, their website experience personalized for their visitors or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what that does is first it puts a smile on most people's faces right? Because some people are, are just not into that, right? But most yeah, people yeah, are. It's like, that's funny. I mean, I think 50% of the time I get a response back that was like, you know, that's funny, you know, or that was a good dad joke or, you know, that made my day or I love that approach. I mean, that happens 50% of the time. But if you notice at the end, when I say, let me get back to you and I'll, I'll change that depending on who the contact is. So if it's somebody in the e-commerce space, right? Then I'll say, let me get back to showing brands how to, uh, 
you know, personalize their web experience for their shoppers. Because I want that person to know what it is I do, right? Yeah. I didn't, yeah. I didn't, I didn't pitch them anything. I didn't reach out to them asking for a phone call or asking them if I could share information about me. What I did is try to create an emotion inside of them that was pleased to get the message from me. That put a smile on their face, right? And if you can do that, I think I heard a politician once say that if you can make, you know, people smile, then that's, you've basically gone 50% of the way for them casting a vote for you. And so if I can put a smile on a person who, even if it's a LinkedIn connection, then now the next time I reach out, you know, they'll see that history of the the conversation and the joke and everything, then they're going to be more prone to like, hear what it is I have to say the next time around. Um, So that's, that's one way I'll do it. I mean, if I'm trying to connect with startup founders who I just want to have on the show, then same thing I do, you know, I'll put a joke and I'll say, okay, I'll get back to, let me get back to interviewing fascinating startup founders on my podcast. So it's like a really good way to like, let them know why I'm connecting with them and show a little bit of my personality um, as well. So it's a very little thing you do. And uh, it takes some time. I probably have to do this two days a week where I spend like 20 or 30 minutes, you know, writing these messages and then responding to messages. People who I notice have engaged with my content on LinkedIn, you know, more than a few times and have written, you know, thoughtful comments. Um, I try to send them voice messages because you can do that through LinkedIn, you know, send an audio message. That's, That's something that I think anybody can take advantage of. Most people don't but it's a very thoughtful way to show somebody that you really appreciate the things that they said, or you're just really happy that you connected with them. Using LinkedIn, those are a couple of things that I, I really try to make the experience you know, more personalized with people who I've connected with. Another thing I do for my podcast guests, uh, before they come on the show, I send them a, a bonjour, uh, which is like a quick you know, video um, that you can send through email, but bonjour has an app. And I'll record a quick video and say, you know, hey, Bogdan, I'm so excited to, you know, be chatting with you later this week. I'm looking forward to it. And I usually do this for like, I'm out on a walk. <laughs> so yeah, I'm just yeah, yeah, recording yeah, the nice. video with my phone. Even before we, we get on the, the, the Zoom call for the first time or into the studio for the first time, they've seen my face. They've heard my voice. They're a little bit more relaxed. They're a little bit more open. Um, so that's, that's something else that I do, like, you know, regards to podcasting. Yeah. Thanks. I'm probably going to take that one. (laughs) (laughs) Go right in. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to ask you about this sort of, I I wish that we were just in the same room, you know, like there's, there's this beautiful thing that's happening where like, I don't have to fly six hours to see you and vice versa. But then there's this other thing of like, oh, what kind of conversation would we have if we were just together doing things like that, you know, sending videos, sending voice messages is good to bridge that gap a little bit. What do you think about podcasting and networking and like, what does that look like in the future? You know, a lot of the people that I interview, I like to see them if I can in person. And so a lot of the guests that I've had here in Bucharest, I've met them in person. Even people that I've interviewed, like in, that are based in France. When I went to Paris, I'll let them know. And I I met a few of them there. Um, Same thing in Spain, right? I think with technology there, you know, people may be doing these interviews in the meta or, you know, whatever they call it. I, I never go yeah, inside. Yeah. I never go inside the meta, but man, I feel so old saying that. I never go inside the meta. <laughs> I don't know anyone who's gone inside, apart from my brother's roommate James, and he he did the whole of Skyrim in VR, so it's probably an yeah. outlier. Yeah, no, I think that's that's where it could be going, and you know, you could have like an audience 
when you're doing the the interview there, like, you know, there's a stage and everything, or maybe you're like doing this uh, inside a helicopter or on top of like the world trade. I I mean, I don't know. You can let your imagination go wild um, if you were doing a recording there. Yeah. I think that's where it's going in the future. Would I ever do that? That I don't know. This has been a lovely hour. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to, to chat about? No, if anybody wants to connect, you can find me on LinkedIn, Eric Melcher. Anybody wants to learn more about personalization, we've got a lot of good material, educational material. We're rolling out a personalization course on optimunk.com. So feel free to check out the website. And uh, there's, also, there's also a free... Uh, there's also a free package. So if even if you're a small business or small retailer, you could still try OptiMonk uh, for free. Check it out. If you thought this was funny, I've got a podcast, Innovators Can Laugh. Feel free to check that out as well. <laughs> that really was a lovely conversation. So thanks so much. Thank you, Connor. Pleasure being here. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Debutify Podcast. If you want to be part of the show, just email us podcast at debutify.com or head over to debutify.com to learn more. Have a great day and good luck with everything.